At this time, I'd like to dismiss the children to go with Miss Karina and the Kitsman team. We'll see you later. Today's scripture is from 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it, and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we, we proclaim also to you, to, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. This is the word of the Lord. I just want to make a public recognition of Nathan. Uh, Nathan, with, uh, during the summer, uh, when I leave, I know the church is in good hands because of God, of course. <laughs> but there are some faithful people here, and Nathan's one of them, where I'm like, okay, Nathan, you're here? Okay, everything's going to be okay. He'll fill in. So can we just give Nathan a big hand? He's such an encourager, <laughs> such a great leader. Now, he's not alone. You know, we, and I highlighted them last week. And so I, I love our church. We have outstanding servants. And so as we gather together, um, this is such a delight to do life together, to be a fellowship. So try to guess the time period. It's a time when a generation of Christians are leaving the church. They're kind of done and fed up. The novelty of the church is wearing off, and the younger generation is no longer going to church. It's a time when Christians just want to be comfortable. Um, sometimes it gets a little bit too, too burdensome or too, too much sacrifice. And so... The classic argument is just enough religion to have security when I die, but not too much that, you know, there's too much is demanded of me. And the third, guess the time period. It's a time when new teachings are popping up, and the teaching is you do not need a savior. You are the savior. The light is inside of you. You can redeem yourself if you look inside. Guess the time period. Now? How many say now, around now? Any other time period? So I was shocked. This is AD 80 and 90. Within a hundred years of Jesus, Christianity has experienced what we're seeing. And I was shocked and encouraged that there's nothing new under the sun. So we thought in 21st century, People are going nuts. Church is going crazy. People are leaving. And so what the scholars say is Christianity, if you think about it, by 80 or 90 AD, three generations have been Christians. 
grandpa saw Jesus. My mom and dad went to church that was planted by Paul. Now I'm a Christian, I'm a young adult. And the third generation, as the church is still growing, they're starting, John is starting to realize some young people are kind of fading away. And then there is false teaching that's popping up called Gnosticism. And what Gnosticism teaches is you have the power to redeem yourself with knowledge. It's inside of you. There's a light. you got to let it shine out. Now, that's important because what do you hear in John, 1 John, a lot of? Light, darkness, God is light. You don't have a light. I don't have a light. The light is God. And so I was so struck by that because it sounds just like modern era where people are looking inward. They're not going to church anymore. But nothing will surprise God. This is what's going on. So John's aim in 1 John is he wants the church to get our theologies in a row. He's not like Paul trying to give a Roman, the book of Romans, a whole theology, dense. He's trying to bring the church back to what matters. God is light. Jesus is a living word who existed before creation. He became flesh and came, and now we have life. He wants them to know if you want to see love, if you want to walk in the light, love well. You are a hypocrite if you say you walk in the light, but choose to hate your brother. We'll see that in 1 John chapter 2 and 3. And so he wants us to have this, and finally, he wants us to have a radical devotion to God in the midst of all the things pulling you aside. Now, I know Americans. I'm living in Southern California, Orange County. There will always be things tugging at you, pulling for your attention. Always. And what John would say is, be locked in and focused on Christ. Remember who you are. That sounds like Mufasa, Lion King, right? To Simba, remember who you are. Simba's like, oh, I'm a lion. I need to go back home. And so 1 John is, is this letter to the Christians during this time period. So let's look into this. He begins with this idea of fellowship. And I like deconstructing words that we have distorted. Fellowship is not bowling together, golfing together, and eating in the church fellowship hall. That's activities. Fellowship is more than that. If we read it in verse 1 and 2, he talks about, we are witnesses. We have witnessed to be true that Jesus is God. We saw him, heard him, touched him. He is the Savior. Jesus is the one who we share in common. And he continues on in verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you so that, here it is, you too may have fellowship, a connection, an understanding, a gathering with us. And then he says, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So when we're connected to God, and you're connected to God, I'm connected to God, it's like simple math, we are connected to each other. It's simple as that. Um, during, uh, it's almost been a year since Kathy's mom passed away, and the memorial service was beautiful. Um, we were just touched. We were reminded of the promise. During that time, I was struck by this. 
we had family that I never met on Kathy's side. And so there was a family from Northern California who came down, and we were introducing to each other. And I was struck by this weird feeling. Maybe I'm just a sentimental, emotional guy. I'm a, I'm a sap. But because they were family, you know, on Kathy's side, it felt so warm and like a reunion. And I was so, in Korean word is pangawo. It just means like uh, you're, you're uplifted and excited to see them. And so there's something. And who are these people? They're strangers. Why do I feel this way? Because of a connection they have with my wife, and because I'm connected with my wife, we have connection with each other. That's family, isn't it? So we see slivers of that analogy that if you are connected with Jesus Christ, and I am deeply in fellowship with Jesus Christ, we will have relationship. That's a secret to marriage, folks. If my wife is close at walking with Jesus Christ, and I'm walking closer with Jesus Christ, what's the chance that we are going to have major issues? Very little. We will have something because we're not Jesus, but we will have. But if I'm not walking with Christ, my wife is walking with Christ, we will have constant struggles about money, life, issues. How do we raise children? And so what Paul is trying to say here is there is a fellowship we have, and it's bigger than going to the same church. It's bigger than eating together. It is a depth of connection we have because you and I know the living word that came to us, and that is it's invigorating. It almost, later on he says, we could, our sins are even forgiven. What he means by that is by living together, we work on overcoming our sin. We return to Christ, and we sharpen each other. And so he's saying there's fellowship. Isn't it true, though, in this fellowship, this commonality, some of you have experienced school, and you still remember friends from school. Because you had a teacher who brought you together. Uh, some of you went to a mission trip. When I did mission trip for youth group students, I was fascinated. Facebook just came out. Do you know what these youth group kids did after we came back from Yucatan, Mexico? They created a Facebook group, 2006 Yucatan Missions Group, so they could keep in touch. <laughs> I was like, that's so cute. What are they doing? They have a shared, common, intense experience they're fellowshipping out of that commonality. And so they're realizing you and I have a separate relationship that's different from anything else. And if you take a moment to think, some of you have those groups right now. And so fellowship is a group of people who share something significant in common. And what John is saying is that significant commonality is not a pastor. It's not a church building. It's not even shared experiences. It is the eternal living word, Jesus Christ. That gives us fellowship. Now, I want to show you a visual. Because fellowship is not just that we have something in common. It changes us. So when you have something intense in common, it actually changes your behavior. So this past summer, I went to my first professional soccer game, LAFC. And I witnessed this and I recorded this. It's a 20-second clip. Just watch the fellowship behavior amongst the commonality of soccer team. Just watch.
Ingrid, how long is a soccer game? Two hours? But like actual time. It's like nine, 90 minutes. They did that from beginning to end. I'm not exaggerating. It was from the beginning. The friend that took me said they do this the whole game. I thought he meant figuratively. They sang nonstop the whole game. Those stands were shaking. It was, it was phenomenal. I don't even like soccer. Now I'm a soccer fan. I was, this commonality of LAFC bringing people together in a chant, in the song, in what they wear, in that devotion, the face garb, the paint. And what we see a glimpse, is a, that's a shadow of what Jesus has done by bringing Koreans, Mexicans, Europeans, Native Americans, Filipino, all these people together, and we have this commonality that we worship together, sing together, pray together, proclaim the word together. Why? Fellowship with Jesus Christ, washed in his blood, that we are his people. And what John is saying is, don't you forget that. This guy's the way we live, and he's giving something practical. This leads to this foundation that God is light, and in him there is no darkness. Walk in light. What does that mean? Well, first, what does God is light mean? That means God is truth. In God, there is no falsity. There is no lying. There is no, nothing immoral. God is immutably good. In fact, light means perfectly holy, and we see it in Leviticus 11.45. You shall therefore be holy, for God says, I am holy. God is incorruptible, and because of his goodness, this is crazy, even unbelievers, believers, experience the goodness of God, and they don't even know it. This is how. If you think, if you take God out of the world, take Darwinian as the truth, there's no God, we're just accidents, we're evolving, we're mutations, evolve over billions of years. There is no morality. What Hitler did was just simply the survival of the fittest. Don't you dare say Hitler's evil. He's just being a normal human biology. But something in the world said this is evil. Executing six million people is not right. Where does that good come from? C.S. Lewis says, it, says this. My argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? Good question. He says, a man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. Inside each of us, we know what's good and evil, even if you don't like God or believe in God, because something God put in us, we know there is an ultimate good because we can tell evil when we see it. Where does that come from? God's ultimate goodness. And so God is light means he's good, he's true, he is holy, he is immutably perfect. And therefore, in dark, there's no darkness. And I think this is encouraging for the younger people, maybe. Because sometimes we're like, what's God really trying to do? Is he trying to make me live single? You know, we, we kind of like get skeptical of God's plan. Is God trying to break me up with my boyfriend or girlfriend? Like sometimes we have this skepticism about God's plan. And this is what John is saying. God is light means also there is no darkness. He has the best in mind. 
for you. He does not do bait and switch. I tried to buy a car this summer. Do you know how many dealers put a car up, like a $40,000 car, and they put $25,000? Perfect condition. And I found out a new scam. You know what that is? You go to the dealership, and they say, oh, Jason, it just got sold, but we have this $35,000 car. I saw that over and over. We call that what? Bait and switch. So there was this car that I was like, oh, that's a deal. And it turned out to be fake. So I, I finally found one, and it was a good deal. And the, I was like, are you real? And God bless us. But I think we think like that about God. Like God may bait and switch us. He may make me a monk. <laughs> he, may, he may take away everything. But when we say God is light, we can trust that God has the best intention for the world. And in the short term, it may not feel it, but we trust in his goodness that he is leading us to where we need to be. This is the goodness of God. And so John says, walk in light. Do not walk in darkness, which means do not walk in spiritual blindness. You know where in the 21st century we see spiritual blindness? What Paul says in Romans 1.22, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. This is us. I am wise. I watched 20 TED Talks. I am wise because I read books. I watched a YouTube clip. Now I'm an expert on astrophysics. Like this is our generation. We, we feel wise. We think we're intelligent. And where we lose God is we get into spiritual darkness because we're so confident in ourselves. And so what John is saying is do not walk in darkness. Do not continue on in sin as well. And we're going to talk about that. And it says misconstrued Christianity that God wants me to be happy. He wants me to affirm me. And because this makes me happy, this is who I am. God, your job is to support me. That's blindness. We don't tell God what's right and wrong. We bend to his truth. So he says, walk in the light, walk with God. First John 2, 4, later on, he says, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. I'm a Christian. How are you doing with his word? I don't need to do that. I'm at the mercy and grace of God. I don't need to listen, you know, he'll forgive me. No, 1 John 2, 4 says, if you claim to know him, but you don't obey, you don't desire to obey his word, you're walking in darkness. You, you're lost. I don't know if you're a Christian. I hope you are. But what's the sign that we are Christian? Those who love him will obey his word. Jesus said that over and over and over. And so John goes on to practical implications of this, and he says, redeemed, but we are still prone to sin. And so we have two options. One, he says basically this, when you sin, you have one option of, you just deny it. And so maybe some of us have thought this, I'm not perfect, but I'm not going to say I'm a, I'm a sinner. Like, that sounds so archaic. Like, I'm a, I'm a child of God, so that's good, I'm okay, I don't need to worry about sin. And some people say, I'm not that bad. You know, look at my friend here. I don't know. Sometimes we compare. And so there's something glib in this statement that we make. Well, I'm a Christian, so he'll forgive me. And what, Paul, what John is saying here is he's talking to Christians. If we deny our sin, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. That's serious. You know what that means? When we say we have not sinned, 
we have just blasphemed God because we have accused God who is truth, who is light, to be a liar. So John encourages us, guys, I know who we are. I know who you are. When we sin, this is what we ought to do. Confess your sins. So let me read it for us. At the end, he says, um, oh, how did I get here? So he says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But in this fellowship that we have with God and one another, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I love what John is saying here. John doesn't hold back punches. He punches and then he gives you the antidote. So some people will say, you know what? God is love. Love is love. You're fine. Just trust in God's love. John doesn't do that. John says, this is sin. And if you deny your sin, truth is not in you. And you accuse God of being a liar. But he gives you the hug, the hope, the gospel. But if we confess our sins in this fellowship, it's not your goodness, it's not your intent, and this is good news for all of us, it's not your, your uh, harder effort to not sin, none of that. The hope we have is he, God, is faithful. He, God, is just. He, our God, is willing to forgive us. And we could all just go, yes, Lord. Like, that is freeing. And so the gospel is not, hey, let's not talk about sin. I don't want to offend you. It's you and I, we're, 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 even as Christians, we are prone to sin. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave this God of love, I love. Take my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it in the courts of love. What, that's a song we sing because Christians, we're prone to stray, but in this fellowship, we need to confess. You know, how many times have you had this experience in family where you had an awkward fight? Awkward, right? And then, you know, it's like 2 o'clock, you got to a big screaming match with a church family member, and then 5 o'clock comes, and what time is it? It's dinner time. Yeah, you, you have that feeling, and you're like, oh, I have to go eat dinner. So you come in, and everyone's like, tension in the air, right? Mom's like, dad's like, hurry up, kids. Or I should say me. And then kids come in like, what's going on in that moment? Did we cease becoming husband, wife, father, daughter, or son? No. The fellowship, because of sin, has been fractured. How do you solve it? You deny it. You just ignore it, right? Just kind of eat and everyone's happy. No, you know that's not true. What do you do? So hopefully the dad or kid, or whoever perpetrated said, before we eat and pray, I just want to say I'm sorry. You know, my name is Nathan Flores, and I overreacted. I, I should not have eaten that extra marshmallow and accused Sammy. I don't know. And so what, what that does is, what does that do? That confession begins the reconciliation of forgiveness and being forgiven. And the fellowship becomes restored. My little children, 1 John 2, 1, the next verse that we didn't read, this is John's intent. I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, 
we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So I want to leave us with that as before we continue next week. We are in a fellowship with Jesus Christ by his blood, purely by his grace. In this fellowship, this church's bond is not going to be on a program or a person or longtime members. Our foundation is Jesus Christ. And the good news is, when we sin, the availability of forgiveness because of Jesus is readily available so that fellowship can truly happen. How did it feel when you guys heard your names? That was the most exciting uh, greeting time I've heard in our church in years. I'm not even exaggerating. I was just watching you all. I think that's the sliver of where God wants the church to be in fellowship when we have peace with God through Jesus Christ and one another. And the church said, amen. Let it be so. And we invite the people who are outside of fellowship to know this fellowship found in the living word that came to us in Jesus Christ. And we will show it through words and deed. Let us pray together. God, thank you for the hope we have. And Romans 8, 38, 39 says, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We thank you, God, for that seal and promise. We are not Christians because of our performance. We are Christians because you have plucked us from death and given us life. And not only that, Lord, but you have brought us together through this fellowship that we have this bond that we share with one another. And so, God, whether male nor female, Jew or Greek, you are bringing all people together in this fellowship community, and we see a glimpse of it at Community Presbyterian Church of La Mirada. God, would you allow us to saturate into the core of our souls this good news? That you are a God who reconciles, restores, and reaching people. And so, Lord, as we see the testimony that Jesus Christ walked this earth, died on the cross, and rose again, that on him the foundation, may we have the power through the Holy Spirit to walk in the light of God. We thank you, Lord. We pray that you would minister and cover us. Start here, Lord God, and let it grow. Be with the churches all around the country as well, that their fellowship would not just be merely because of a praise band or a program, but because it's you, God. It's found in Jesus. And in his name we pray. Amen.